0: I highlight the Crow tribe, but 60% of tribes across the country live in a food desert. And so that amounts to about 340 tribes who struggle with access to basic human right,
1: which is food. Hello, and welcome to Small Black Birds, I'm AJ. We are all paying more for groceries these days, but what if the food you wanted wasn't available at any price? How far would you go to get fresh fruit and vegetables, or diapers for your children? In some Native communities, going to a grocery store can take up to an hour, and there's no guarantee what you're looking for will be in stock. Even before the pandemic disrupted traditional food systems and supply chains, one in four Native Americans was dealing with food insecurity. Living in so-called food deserts, places where healthy and affordable food options are not readily available, some tribal communities rely on gas station convenience stores and fast food restaurants as primary food sources. But as more people realize today's food system is broken, there exists a young but growing movement in many Native communities to regain control of their own food supply.
0: Border towns, essentially towns that are on the border of um, you know reservations, even those grocery stores, the prices are much higher than other places that you see.
1: During an off-season hunting trip in January of 2014, Claven Herrera pursued a small herd of elk from his home on the Crow Reservation in Montana into Bighorn National Forest in northeastern Wyoming. After hours of tracking the herd through frigid conditions, Herrera killed and quartered three elk before returning to the reservation with the meat to feed his family. Learning of the hunt, Wyoming officials crossed into Montana and onto the Crow Reservation to cite Herrera on misdemeanor charges of hunting out of season. Herrera and the tribe argued that the hunt was legal because of an 1868 treaty that guaranteed the right of crow to hunt on unoccupied lands of the United States. But when Herrera was brought to trial, the state court refused to hear his argument and suspended his hunting privileges for three years. For many, not being able to hunt is an inconvenience. But for tribal members who rely on game meat to feed their families, hunting is a vital means of survival, and often central to their identity.
0: Originally, I was following the Herrera versus Wyoming case, and that case involves one Crow tribal member who hunted in the state of Wyoming and outside of the reservation. And he was cited by the Gabe Mordens of Wyoming. And so he fought the citation, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in 2019, the Supreme Court ruled in his favor. And so I thought that this was a really interesting court case, and the fact that it was significant enough to reach the Supreme Court.
1: That voice you hear is Sanavi Spoonhunter, a member of the Northern Arapaho Tribe and director of an award-winning documentary, Crow Country, Our Right to Food Sovereignty. Inspired by Herrera's legal victory, Spoon Hunter journeyed to Montana to document daily life on the Crow Reservation. Her short film captures the majesty of Montana's big sky country and features the stories of several Crow, including an elder and a hunter, who go above and beyond to make sure their neighbors have access to fresh and healthy foods. The Crow Reservation is the largest native reservation in Montana stretching across over 2 million acres and home to nearly 8,000 people. Though the area is vast, most of the land is not suitable for agriculture, and many residents rely on a combination of hunting, food pantries, and government assistance to put food on their table. Many on the reservation want the right to hunt for traditional and nutritious foods expanded, but various state restrictions on ancestral hunting grounds force them to choose between complying with the law and feeding their families.
0: And then I went to Crow for the first time. I've never been to Montana. I learned that because most tribes live in a food desert and with the Crow, their only grocery store burned down in 2019 as well. And so a lot of tribal members were struggling to you know, have access to food. And that was one of the reasons why Herrera went and shot bull elk outside of the reservation because he, had, he wanted to feed his three daughters and he didn't want to go in any type of government-assisted food systems.
1: Food sovereignty goes beyond ensuring that people have enough food to meet their physical needs. It's about transforming local food systems to reduce hunger, increase access to healthy and traditional foods, and using food as a mechanism for entrepreneurship and environmental justice. It's also about being self-reliant. Historically, native populations ranging from Arctic whalers to Pueblo farmers had developed and sustained their own food systems— similar to those practiced by their ancestors for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years before them. But reservation and federal policies have since disrupted that order, and many Native Americans now live in places with limited access to land to grow their own food or hunt.
0: Even though Herrera won, the state of Wyoming still needed to set boundaries for Crow members to hunt, so currently tribal members can still get sighted and bind right now.
1: The problem was made worse after President Trump slashed the budget for federal programs in the region. In 2017, the Crow Agency, which oversees agricultural and social services to residents of the reservation, was forced to lay off 1,000 of its 1,300 employees, ultimately straining tribal operations and leaving many families struggling to make ends meet.
0: A lot of these tribes rely on elk. It's not only just for protein and food, but they also decorate their traditional attire. In it. And so a lot of their, the elk is it's just like a staple in their culture in so many ways. And I think that it's really beautiful. And the fact that so many Crow people, like in the film, I really wanted to show that too, is that they have their culture, they have their heritage, they have their language still.
1: Traditional indigenous communities throughout the Americas cultivated and ate a wide variety of food, including wild meats like buffalo and fish, and fruits and vegetables such as cactus fruit, cranberries, plums, corn, beans, and squash. Inspired by this heritage, today's food sovereignty movement encourages community-led sustainable farming and hunting practices, proper compensation for those who produce healthy foods, and supporting initiatives like Farm to Table and Farm to School programs that provide for the long-term health and cultural preservation of these communities. Today's food sovereignty movement is growing and innovating at an incredible pace. One program in particular, the Gather Food Sovereignty Project, run by the First Nation Development Institute, not only provides training and technical assistance for would-be farmers, but finances environmental justice programs, sponsors student-led businesses, and supports film and arts projects that help Native Americans reclaim their spiritual, political, and cultural identities.
0: I just want to bring contemporary issues to the forefront of film because a lot of times, you know, a lot of Native people, they're romanticized and you don't really see the current conditions that, you know, they're they're surviving in. And it's just, just to show how resilient they are and how beautiful the culture continues to be.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Small Black Birds. Spoonhunter's next project is another short film that centers on Jean Lamar, who is an activist, printmaker, and founder of the Native American Graphic Workshop, and is cited by many contemporary artists as a mentor and influence. Her art has been displayed in major museums and can also be enjoyed online. Did I get this story right? Let me know at smallblackbirdspodcast at gmail.com. Want to protect your right to protest? Visit Defending Rights and Dissent at www.rightsanddissent.org. Stay safe and talk with you soon.